Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have, I do, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter dies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she had, was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had, had, who had done this thing. But the, women, the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. 
While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your eternal word. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have given it to us to minister to us, to make us more like Jesus. We want to be made more like Jesus, Father. We pray that you would use these verses by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would use these verses to make us in a, in a way and fashion in a way that, that blesses your heart and brings you glory, Lord. Make us into more and more mature believers, Lord. We pray that we would grow exponentially. We thank you, Lord, that there's nothing like your word anywhere, Lord, and you have given it to us to take advantage of, Lord. We pray that it would have an increasing influence in each one of our lives. We ask that you set this time aside for your holy use as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I've been really enjoying this study. I don't know about you, but I've been really, really enjoying it. Just going through the Lord Jesus' life and going through his words and what he said and how he just how he dealt with people so amazing his compassion that he has for people what stops him what moves him how he allows himself to be interrupted how he serves until exhaustion till physical exhaustion just his wisdom his love and his again massive heart for people and that's really what it's all about and he leads us by example with how he lived his life in terms of his life being all about serving, his life being all about others. And that's what he's working towards in each one of our lives, to make our lives be about others, about focusing on other people's needs, to not hoard life's resources on ourselves and focus on ourselves and, and have this kind of cesspool or, or swamp of just no outlet in our lives and that's why swamps are swamps because they have no outlet the dead sea in israel is the dead sea because there's no outlet and it's a perfect physical picture of the spiritual importance of be, having our lives be an outlet for others and so what doesn't help is all of the self-help messages all of the man-centered messages that we hear not only in the world but actually sadly in many churches where it becomes all about us. But Jesus was never all about himself. He told the disciples, I didn't come to, ser to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So a mature believer is a, a believer that gives their lives away. 
that, that seeks to make others' lives better, to, to introduce them to Jesus if they don't know him, to help them grow closer to Jesus if they do know him. And so seeing the Lord Jesus and seeing him uh, minister is so important for us to be reminded of what our lives are supposed to look like. He's the perfect example for our lives. We're supposed to be Christ-like. And so as we grow in maturity, we become more and more of a servant. We become more and more of someone that gives our lives away to serve others. And he notices, he's watching. You know, in the book of Revelation, as we went, when we went through Revelation, we saw how he assessed every single one of those seven churches. He had an opinion about them. He noticed everything about what was going on in their midst. He walked in the midst of the, of the churches. He had an opinion about it. And some of those churches were completely ignorant and had a completely different self-assessment of their spiritual life than what Jesus did. And that's the scary thing for us. We need to make sure that we're letting him assess our spiritual life, defining what spiritual maturity is by his word, having his word be the standard instead of other Christians. Well, I really like that Christian. He's really mature, but they get to do that. Well, what about God's word? God's word is the standard, not other believers. And we say that to our kids, but we need to say it to ourselves as well. So here, Jesus in the middle of his public ministry here, he's in the middle of the most popular time uh, of his ministry, that, that year of popularity that he enjoyed before the year of opposition and after the year of obscurity there that we're going to see in the book of John when we get there. And, and here he is, he's just finished going across the Sea of Galilee. We saw last week where uh, he said, let us go to the other side, and that storm came, that windstorm, and they thought they were going to die, and it takes a lot for professional fishermen to think they're going to die on the Sea of Galilee. And he's at the bottom of the boat in the stern there, sleeping, resting on a pillow, and, and, and he it, 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 you know, kind of encouraged them to trust, he rebuked them really for to not trusting and having faith in him because he said, let's go to the other side. And every one of our, the promises in Scripture is the equivalent of Jesus saying, let's go to the other side. This is going to happen. And sometimes that means we're going to have to go through a storm, but his faithfulness is still going to be demonstrated, and we're going to see that in our lives. And their, their conclusion at the end of the last chapter that we looked at in chapter 4 was, even the wind and the sea obey him. And as we're going to see in this chapter, in chapter 5, there's a lot more that obeys him besides the wind and the sea. So let's, let's start looking at it in verse 1. He says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. So this is just the carryover of chapter 4. They got to the other side. Exactly what Jesus said. They made it. Because he said, let's do that. And if Jesus says, let's do that, we can be sure that that's going to happen. And we just need to get in line with what he wants. Instead of asking him to bless our plans, we need to say, Lord, what are you doing? And, and we want to get in line with what you're doing. That's exactly what the disciples were learning. But they arrived at the other side. They're at this, this area here. This is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's heavily Greek-influenced there. There's the Decapolis there. That's an area of ten cities that were heavily influenced by Greek culture there. And so they're over there. It's kind of desolate. It's kind of warmer there. It's not as cool. It's not getting as much of the breeze that's coming over from the Mediterranean from the west there. It's a little bit more dry and desert, uh, deserty. I don't know if that's a word, but I'll use it. Uh, and 
So they're over there, and notice in verse 2, Jesus encounters this demoniac, as he's been called, in verse 2. It says that when he had come out of the boat, immediately. Now, we've seen this word immediately many times in the book of Mark. He's going to say it three times in this chapter. It's fast-paced. It's condensed down into 16 chapters, this book, and there's a lot going on, and that's why he uses this word immediately. Immediately, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. It was just, it's just, to me, and this is just my crazy brain, you guys know me, I just think of the Incredible Hulk, or I think of King Kong, you know, when they tried to put things around him, and just nothing could tame him. And don't think, yes, they probably weren't as proficient at, at making chains as we are today, but they could make chains. It's not like these things were really tiny strips of metal and so forth. And these were these were the real deal here. And so no one can no one could could keep this man bound. He was so bound that no one could bind him. And, and that's ironic because Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the enemy was so just overflowing this person here. We're told in Matthew there were two of them. He doesn't, and, and Mark and Luke don't deal with the other guy. But he focuses on this one here. And so we're told there in verse 3 that he, was, he made his dwelling among the tombs. Why is that? It, it, it's probably because he just couldn't be around anybody else. He was so dangerous to himself and others, there was no other place for him to stay. And he couldn't be controlled. And he had supernatural strength. Supernatural. This is... This is not normal human strength. This is supernatural strength, and we're told that no one could tame him. Did you see that at the end of verse 4? No one, no one could tame him. That's what you use when you describe an animal. You know, it wasn't too far off with King Kong. You know, this guy was, was, had supernatural strength, and no one could control him. Now, let's put, let's put it in, a, in terms that put a, make him a little bit more human. This man was someone's son at some point. His mom had dreams for him. His dad had dreams for him. He was a little baby. I don't think that he was possessed from a little you know, infant. I don't know when that happened. We're not told in the passage. But his, his family had plans for him. God had plans for him, more importantly. And this, I don't know if it was a young age or it was older. I don't know. But, the, but he had this possession there. And this was a person that God cared about. And one of the things I wanted to highlight is that the enemy has wicked plans for each one of us. But God is so much greater, and he has so much more power than what the enemy has. He's not even worthy to be compared with the strength of God. Some people say, picture God like in a boxing ring, and there's God on one side and Satan. It's not even, there's not even, you can't even do that. That's not even a fair comparison. It's not even a fair comparison to talk about the enemy being like an ant, you know, and we're a giant, because the distance between the infinite and the finite is greater than any distance we can come up with and imagine in our minds. This man was completely tormented. Notice in verse 5, he says, and always night and day. Notice the word always. This is continuous. All the time. Night and day. 24-7. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Perfect picture of torment, perfect picture of self-destruction. And when people are bound, not necessarily just even possessed, but bound by Satan and, and 
snared with all of that. They're, they self-destruct. That's what Satan wants to do. He, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he has many different ways to do that. And, and that's what his, his ultimate goal is. And I, I love the fact that we're praying more, we're seeking God more, because a lot of these things, a lot of these breakthroughs are going to happen as we come together and pray and intercede for people. We're going to see people set free. We're going to see people changed, saved, delivered, healed. We're going to see all those things because God honors his word. And he says, we're just like Elijah. He's a man that prayed and God answered and he prayed again and God answered. And, and we're, he's no greater than us and God wants to use us to do amazing things and, and to pray all these things into, um, in, into reality because that's what he, he loves to do. But this man was bound, hopelessly bound, but Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus had a purpose. And that's the thing is so often we get in these trials and we think that God has maybe forgotten about us or we feel like, you know, he's not answering our prayers. And, and those disciples, I'm sure, thought that God wasn't being faithful. They even questioned Jesus in the boat. Don't you care that we're going to die? They questioned his motivation. But this storm was necessary for their development. It was an object lesson from the parable of the soils that they just received from him. Are they going to trust his word? Are they going to take him at his word? Do they have good soil into which God can plant his word? Are they going to trust him? And through that, at the end of the storm, at the, at the tail end or the other side, so to speak, it, it was completely necessary for fruitful ministry to occur. And these disciples were learning that. And we need to learn it. But in addition to that, they would see the glory of God. If they would have turned around, I bet you that they would have preferred to turn around and go back <laughs> in that boat, back to where they came from, but they never would have come, come over and see this man freed and, and this man delivered. There's so, much to, there's so much pruning and breaking necessary for fruitful ministry to occur because he's building, he's building people that are not impressed with themselves and are not dependent upon themselves and are dependent upon him that don't trust that they have all the answers that don't think oh i've seen this situation before this is how jesus always works no he works differently in different situations we have to be flexible to the holy spirit's leading and he, he is so good at uniquely ministering to it in a certain way at a certain time and if we're flexible and open he will do that an amazing thing that we're praying for but he'll do it maybe in a different way than we're expecting now notice this man's reaction to Jesus in verse 6. Look with me there. He says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? Now he didn't ask him what his, he didn't need to know his name. To, to cast him out. That wasn't necessary. Sometimes people say that. You have to know their name and all of that. There's this old joke of someone doing an exorcism and he's having him name, the, the demons having him name their names and all of that. And one of the demons said, you know, I'm lying spirit. And the guy said, how do I know you're telling the truth? You know, you know it was a bad joke then too. So, <laughs> but, uh, so it's not critical that he, he names him and, and names his name. But he answered and said, uh, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. First of all, who's, is there a real battle here? There's no real battle here. This is the sovereign Lord of the universe coming in contact with fallen angels that he created that know that, that they're subject to him. They're begging him. They're wanting permission for things and we're going to see in a minute and so forth. And he, he they're, 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 they don't want to be uh, 
cast out a certain way. They're trying to micromanage this whole thing, and Jesus is not going to allow it to happen. He's, he's going to uh, do what he wants to do. And so, but him naming himself or saying, we are legion for we are many, it's almost like he's saying, you know, be intimidated, or you could be intimidated by it because we're, we're, we're here. We're a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of demons. We're a force to be reckoned with because a legion, that's a Latin word, and that describes 6,000 Roman soldiers. And they were organized, they were proficient, they were deadly, they were unstoppable. That's, the, that's the, 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 the gist of what it's going on here. Those disciples hearing this would, a legion? <laughs> like, what? How many are in there? I mean, that's such a massive, huge force. I mean, we know Jesus, and we know he can do a lot of things. I mean, we've never seen this before. And, and, and so it puts it all into perspective, because Jesus is Lord over all. You know, we said in Matthew 26, I want to read it to you, verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot pray, can now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? You know, only a third of the angels fell. Two-thirds didn't fall. And that's, that's comforting to me to know that there's two-thirds more angels than demons are out there. But Jesus has authority over all of them, even the good ones. He has authority over all of them. He's Lord over all of them. He, we should not be afraid of of the demonic realm as believers we should not be afraid we have authority in jesus christ over the demonic realm we can cast out demons and we can resist the devil and he will flee from us we're not told to rebuke satan we're not told to bind satan we're not told any of those things but we are told that we can resist the devil and he will flee from us and we're told that that we're supposed to be in submission to the lord through through all of it but there's a powerful scripture this is everyone should memorize this first john chapter 4 verse 4 he says john by the spirit you are of god little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world and the whole context is talking about spirits and testing the spirits of god and so forth i mean the spirits that are out there and he says greater is he that is in you that is the holy spirit than he that is in the world and God's not into timeshares, as it's been said. Christians can't be demon-possessed. And so we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's greater than any demonic force out there. And there are Christians that are preoccupied with Satan and demons, and they're not worthy of our attention. Yes, we are supposed to be aware of the enemy's devices and his schemes and all those things. We should. But we shouldn't fixate upon the enemy at all. We should fixate on the Lord. We should focus on him. He's the one that we should have all of our attention on, and we shouldn't be fearful. And so God wants to encourage us uh, in that way. Now notice in verse 11, he says, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him. So who's in control here? Begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. Now some have said, well, this... There shouldn't have even have been these pigs here because this is Israel and there's Jews, but this is a different area. This is the east side. There's a lot of Gentile and, and Greek influence in this area. So this wasn't a heavily Jewish area. There were Jews there, I'm sure, but this wasn't a heavily Jewish area. This was at least in the sense of their traditions and their culture and so forth because pigs are unclean animals. And, and so that's why you know Jews mainly wouldn't be having you know, a, a pig farm, like probably what we see here pictured. Verse 13. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There are about 2,000. That's a lot of pigs. 
and the herd ran violently down the steep place in the sea and drowned in the sea. So the demonic realm causes destruction here. You see it with these pigs. And by the way, this is the only account in Scripture where we see deviled ham. So... The second bad one, I know. You know, there is not going to be a there's not going to be a strike three. Okay, it won't be a strike three. That that that's it. I I I surrender. I you know I'll have mercy on you. So, verse fourteen. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was. No, I really won't do a third one. I promise. I went out to see it, and it was what had happened. Verse fifteen. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, notice the word had, had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. First of all, notice he was sitting, sitting at Jesus' feet, sitting clothed and in his right mind. That's what Jesus does. There wasn't this big, where was the psychologist? Where were the psychiatrists? Yes, God can use them, okay? I'm not saying God can't use them. But God doesn't need anything to make, bring someone into the, their right mind. And this is, I mean, can you picture a worse situation than having thousands of demons inside of a person, breaking chains supernaturally, living in tombs, no one could control him, he's cutting himself with stones. We can't, uh, the worst drug addict that we can imagine can't come close to that kind of condition and look what Jesus did alone. Jesus alone did it. He could do it. He does it today. There's people, that, well, there's people here in our church been out program after program and they all have their place and God can use all of them. But so many of them have failed people because they're not introducing Jesus himself in many of them. And they're not helping people grow in his word. We already went over the parable of the soils. They're not preparing them and helping them have that deep soil, that heart that can take the, the word of God that can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit but god's word does that that's what he does he puts people in their right mind people are going crazy in this world have you noticed that it's going it's getting worse and worse and worse the things that you would think that people never would do are doing and calling it normal and and it's no and they're teaching it in universities and and government institutions are backing this and courts are backing it it's getting worse and worse and worse and all jesus wants to do is put people in their right mind and he does every day. He's doing it. It's not in the news. It's not advertised. He is coming and saving people. He's delivering people. He's putting people in their right minds all the time. And no one can argue with it. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of, of what he does. But the crazy thing is the last four verses of verse 15, it says, and they were afraid. Afraid of what? They should have been afraid before. They can't control this guy. I wouldn't want to live around that guy. You know, that's when the, fra- the fear should have been there. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of something changing. They're afraid of something being different. They're afraid they can't predict what's going to happen next. And we'll get into even more motivation here in verse 16 and 17. It says, And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Verse 17, Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Imagine that. Now, this is surprising and not surprising all at the same time. Because you would think, why would they plead? They've seen what this, this person can do that no one else could do. And, and he, they come in and, and they make this man, he makes this man in his right mind, sitting there, clothed, normal, 
And you would think that they would say, oh, come into our city. We have way more. We have, we, need, we have way more people that are messed up that need help. But they don't do that. They plead. Notice the word plead. He, they plead with him. That you're begging, like your kids beg for when they, when they hear the ice cream truck. You know, please, I want ice cream. What I They're just begging, begging, want the thing, want the thing, want the thing, pleading with you, pleading, pleading, pleading. Please, Jesus, depart from our region. It's like almost the most insane thing you can possibly say, but it, it shows that materialism can choke out the word. Just what Jesus talked about with the parable of the soils. Their hearts were not ready for the gospel at all. They were thinking about what they would lose materialistically related to this, this swine and all of these things. What other businesses could we lose? What other livelihoods could be interrupted by this man, even though this other man that we know needed help has been greatly helped? We don't know. And so we're going to ask him to leave. It just shows how hard people's hearts are. You know, I believe if Jesus came today and did the same thing today, I think people in this world would say, please depart from our area, Jesus. I think that would happen. So it's surprising, but yet not surprising. But the interesting thing is that Jesus is going to honor their request. There's such a thing as spirit-directed retreat. Jesus doesn't beg anybody to follow him. He tells them to wipe the dust off their feet if they don't receive your message. He doesn't beg people to follow him at all. He honors their request. He doesn't say, no, what's best for you is if I stay here and tries to talk him into it. And He doesn't do that. Fine, you don't want me here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And sometimes he has us do the same thing. Verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So his people pleaded that he would leave, but this man that's been put in his right mind is pleading and begging him that he might be with him. And Jesus does something that surprises all of us. If we were writing this or predicting what would happen next, if we'd never read it before, we would say, Jesus would say, oh, come on, come on in the boat. You're with us now. They don't, want you, they don't want my message, and so you don't belong. They're not worthy of you. Come with me, and I will make you a fisher of men and all of that, and I'm going to help you grow and all. That's what we'd expect, right? doesn't happen. Not at all. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. This tells us a lot of things. First of all, this tells us that Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit's going to continue to work with this man. He doesn't have, a, doesn't have a pastor, doesn't have a Bible. He has the Holy Spirit, though. And he's the Holy Spirit that's going to teach him directly. And he knows that this isn't the end of the story for this man as well. It's also for this region, it's not the end of the story. But he wants these people's lives changed. And this man needs to go and share what happened to him. Nobody can argue with your testimony. Nobody could argue with this man. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're out of your, your mind. And I can't say you're out of your mind because, I mean, that didn't happen anymore. But, you know, you're, you're you, you know, this, this wasn't who you are. Yes, it was. This is how, who I was. You know me, you know. And that's what God calls us to, to go back to our family and friends, people that know us, and say, I am not the same. I'm a different person. Jesus saved me. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I want to tell you what changed my life. That's what people need to hear. And maybe you did that at the very beginning of your walk, but you haven't done it with your family and friends in a long time. Don't give up on them. Go back to them. Say, you know what? We haven't talked about this in a while. Kind of avoided this subject when we've had Thanksgiving, when we've had Christmas, you know? We've, I've, I've, I've held back a little bit, but where are you at? 
What, how are you doing? What do you think about these things? What, what, has your opinion changed? You know, it's important for us to go back because God wants those people reached. It's not like Jesus didn't care about these people. He just was going to use this man. And he knew that this was better for this man. This is what blows our minds. This was better for this man than it would be for him to come with Jesus. It's hard to even imagine that, right? But God does what's best for people. So he knew it was best for this town and the city and this area, but he also knew it was best for this man at the moment. This man needed to testify. After a person comes to Christ, they need to share what's happened to them with people that they know. Even if they don't know one single verse of the Bible, they need to say what happened. And many of you have done that, that have recently come to Christ. You've started sharing right away. You don't know one verse, hardly the Bible. You know maybe John three sixteen or whatever, and you're sharing what had happened to you, and God will use it. I want to read, in fact, let's turn over to Mark 6 real quick. I want us to see what happened a little further, and we'll see it next week or the week after. Look at verse 53. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, and in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. You can go back to Mark 5. So there's this, this region, this general region that's being reached. And, and, and God wanted to use this man, and, and no doubt there's gonna, they're going to be affected down the road by the Lord Jesus. So, very powerful. Now, look at verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. Now, we'll stop there for a second. What a contrast. You have this man that was possessed by a legion of demons, lived in the tombs, was as low as you can possibly get on the socioeconomic ladder, (laughs) and now you have this other man who is the opposite. He has it all together. He's the ruler of the synagogue, which was not an easy thing to attain there, and he has pre- uh, preeminence and prom- prominence, and he's probably wealthy, and all of these things has it all together, but, but he's desperate too. And notice that the rest of verse 22, he says, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, more begging going on, begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. I have a daughter. She's not 12, but I remember when she was 12. You know, and this man is humbling himself. He's coming in desperation. You don't care about a lot of things when you're desperate. He's humbling himself, and he's, he's coming to Jesus, and this got his attention. A lot of things, God uses a lot of things to get our attention related to us being more open to Jesus and receiving him and so forth. In verse 24, we're told, So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This is some kind of internal hemorrhage there. And 
this is, is this, does this still happen today with physicians? You know, you go to sometimes physicians and you go to many of them, they don't help and sometimes you're worse. And there's, God uses physicians. God uses doctors. But Jesus is the only physician that doesn't practice medicine. They're all practicing medicine, but he's not. He's the great physician. And so she grew worse, she grew worse. There's a lot more to her story that we'll get to in a minute. Verse 27, And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, there's our word again, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. It's just simple faith. She's not saying, this is where the faith comes in. I mean, it's great enough faith to say that if I just touch him, but for her to say, I don't even need to touch him. I just need to touch the hem. Just need to touch a bit of his clothing, and that'll be good enough, and I'll be healed. And God answers prayers all the time today of people just saying, Lord, just be merciful with me. I, just need, I have this need. I'm coming to you. And I just, want, I just need you to touch me. I need you to make me well. And I know that you can do it. And I ask that you do it now. And God does it today. People touch the hem of his garment in their heart and in their mind and touch him in their mind and in their heart. And he comes and touches us many a times. And if you're here today and you need a touch from him, he can do it. You just need to ask in your heart. Ask right in the quietness of your own mind right now. Just ask him to touch you. Ask him to manifest his power in your life right now, and he loves to do it, absolutely loves to do it. it, can still happen today. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Did I read this? Yeah, verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And this is just like the disciples, you know. It's, like, what are you, it's almost like they're, that's a nice way of saying that's a dumb question, you know. <laughs> and all these people around you, crowd, you know, moving into you and, you know, and you're saying who touched me, you know. You could just see him say, come on, what, do you, that's, what are you doing? What are you asking? That's crazy. And he ignored them, which is good, verse 32. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. See, he's not even thinking about what, Jesus, what the disciples said. He's locked on to this woman. He loves this woman. He cares for her. He wants to minister to her. He didn't have to stop. He didn't have to ask. He didn't have to interact with her. He could have just kept on walking, but he knows that she needs more than just that touch. Verse 56. No, let me move back. Am I lost again? But the woman, verse 33, fearing, where's the GPS in my note? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Like she's confessing like, like she's sinned or something, and she's sorry, and she's apologetic and all of that. That's nowhere near his heart. He doesn't want, the, he's not busting her. He doesn't have any heart to, like she stole some virtue from him that he can't get back, or he doesn't have a heart to minister or to heal. It's not his heart whatsoever. Notice what he says in verse 34. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, there's so much wrapped up in just that one word, daughter. See, she had this issue of blood. She was ceremonially unclean. She likely couldn't even go into the synagogue. 
be a part of a lot of those things. She was isolated away. She was ostracized away. And Jesus knew that she needed everyone else to hear that she was restored and that she was a daughter in the faith, that she was a daughter and she was someone that he loved. And it was a relational term. This, the, her situation was not quite as bad as a leper, but it was along those lines of having that kind of um, isolation and, and, and so forth. And he says to her, daughter, just think of what that does. When's the last time she heard that? And, and ministered to her needs. She needed to hear the word daughter from him. And everybody else needed to hear daughter uh, from him as well. And he says, your faith has made you well. He's showing how great it is for us to trust God, to be able to look to him and trust him and, and say, he can heal me. He can touch me. He can make the difference. He can do only what he can do. And he, and he loves to do the supernatural. He's a loving father. And he says, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Beautiful picture. Now, I'm wondering about Jairus right now. Now, think if you're the dad here. You're the dad of a 12-year-old daughter who's almost dead. You're thinking time is of the essence, right? And there's this interruption. We're, and, and so we know that Jairus, he already humbled himself. We already know he became extremely vulnerable in admitting his need and coming and kneeling down before Jesus. And Jesus focused on this woman just for a moment. Verse 13, or 30 rather, we're told that he turned around. So he turned the other direction. He was going one direction towards Jairus' house. He turned around the whole other direction to deal with this woman and to meet her needs. I don't know what was going on in Jairus. I know if it were me, I would be saying, come on, come on. I mean, I care about this woman. That's great and everything, but we got to go. My daughter's going to die. We're on it. We're on it. You ever been like in a massive hurry and, and, you, and there seems to be all these things that get in the way. You know that there's just seconds. Seconds make the difference. Seconds. And, and, and here he is, Jesus being interruptible. And I'm sure he could be fine with him being interrupted any other time. But this is my 12-year-old baby girl. And then she's going to die. But Jesus is not making any mistakes here. There was a delay. But it was a delay that was going to reveal the glory of God. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from, from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? We don't see anything from, the, from, the, from Jairus at the moment. You know, that's where all hope goes. That's where your heart sinks. That's where you feel you got punched in the stomach. Here you were so close to this man who could do something, and time ran out. Time ran out. But what I love is that we're told in verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Jesus quickly said that. He didn't want, he didn't want hardly any time at all to go by between the time that that man heard those words in his ears about his daughter dying and the fact that Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. And the tenses there in the Greek are very important because it's, it's a command in the original language and it's also present tense. He's saying, I command you to keep on believing. I command you to keep on not being afraid. In other words, keep going the way you were when I first came across you. When you first, when you first encountered me, you were full of faith, knowing that I could do it. Don't stop being that way. Don't let your heart be moved. And, and that was very important for him to hear. Verse 37, And he permitted no one, 
to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when he had come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept, who wept and wailed loudly, when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. See, it's not finished yet. It's not the end of the story. You know, the, the lesson is God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And that helps us because sometimes things are delayed. We think God's late. He's never late. He's, he's, he's rarely early. He's usually on time, just perfectly on time, but he's not late. He has a reason for things. And Jairus and the disciples were learning this. So he comes in, and, and we're told that there was a large tumult there in verse 38, and those who wept and wailed loudly. These are professional mourners. It's true. They hired mourners to come in and to, to do their thing. And, and it was just their tradition. And usually you couldn't afford that. Most people couldn't, but he was wealthy and so forth. And so they wailed loudly. But notice in verse 40, they didn't have a good reaction to Jesus. It says, and they ridiculed him. But when he had pulled them, put them out all outside. Now, Peter, James, and John were only the ones that were allowed in this house, the inner circle, so to speak. Peter would later raise someone from the dead in the book of Acts, and he put the doubters outside too. So he learned from this. So he put them outside. And I would say, when God's about to do a work and there's scoffers around, I don't necessarily would recommend having them have influence in the situation at the moment. Put them out. Put, out the, put them out. We, 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 you, know, you can be out here for a minute. We're going to be over here praying, and, and we're going to expect God to do what only he can do. Put the doubters out. Put them, they're a distraction. They don't even, they're not even worthy to see this. Uh, uh, but, but others were in the sense of training. So he put them outside and he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, and this is Aramaic there, which is translated, little girl, I, I say to you, rise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great excitement, I bet. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that someone, something should be given to her to eat. Now he says, don't tell anybody, because he knew that this word, the word was getting out. There was, there was a timing for him for, to be arrested and handed over and all of that. He wasn't going to help um, that or work against that timetable. So this man was desperate, and God was faithful in the midst of this. So as we close here, there, Jesus had authority over the storm, right, in the last chapter. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. But he also has authority over the demonic realm, and legion obeys him. He had authority over darkness and sickness because the woman's issue of blood obeyed him and left. He had authority over death because when he called to this little girl, Death obeyed him and went out of her. And so it's a beautiful picture also of the church. You have four different people here. You have someone filled with demons living in tombs who falls at the feet of Jesus. You have a ruler of a synagogue, wealthy and affluent and high in status and in the culture, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. You have an ostracized, diseased woman who falls at the feet of Jesus. And then you have a little girl, 12-year-old girl who had died, who was raised at the voice of of Jesus. It's a perfect picture of the body of Christ. We're that diverse. We are that diverse. We had all different needs when we came to him, and he 
fulfilled those needs and healed us and delivered us and saved us. And we have all this diversity, but we have him in common. And so when we come together, we're, we're a beautiful representation of his di- diversity in his body. And we're all equally thankful, though, for what he's done because how he's worked in us has been very specific and fine-tuned and laser-focused to what we needed at the perfect time, at the perfect moment. And only he could do that. We are one body of Christ with one Savior who meets every single one of our needs. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for being the faithful God that you are. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that needs a touch from you, that they would reach out to you in faith and ask for touch, ask for your touch and a healing, Lord, or, or salvation or whatever it is. I pray, Father, that you would just, by your Holy Spirit, comfort and encourage and work and as only you can. Thank you, Jesus, that you're, you're, you have authority over everything that we can come through. And thank you, Lord, that you bring us through storms to provide for us amazing ministry opportunities. Lord, help us to not resist your storms, but be faithful in trusting you and honoring you with our faith as we go through them, Lord, showing that we have the right heart, the heart that your word could be planted deep into, Lord, to bring you glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.